0: So over the last six weeks, we've been looking at the different ways Jesus appeared to his followers after he rose from the dead. As Luke explains at the beginning of Acts, over the course of 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples on multiple occasions in order to prove to them that he had risen from the dead and in order to teach them about the kingdom of God. Well, today we come to Jesus' final visit with the disciples. It's one that ends as he ascends into the heavens on a cloud. It's a strangely anticlimactic scene, though. We want something more grand and more glorious. We want something more exciting. But what if this low-key departure is more important than we realize? So Luke writes about it twice after all, once in his gospel and then again in Acts. He obviously thought that it was incredibly significant, but why? What does this tell us about Jesus? What does it tell us about ourselves? Well, That's what we're going to explore this morning as we spend some time in this opening scene from Acts. You can turn there, find it on page 909 in the Red Bibles if you want to follow along. So the very first thing the ascension tells us is something that we already know but we so easily forget. Jesus has a body. Jesus has a body and he will have a body forever. So when Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter morning, something unique in the history of the world took place. God God hadn't sent two angels down with a defibrillator and a syringe of adrenaline, in order to revive Jesus. He was dead. He couldn't be revived. He'd been brutally tortured, nailed to a cross, where he suffocated to death. Roman centurions speared him in the side just to make sure that he was dead before he was taken down and buried. But then in the darkness of the grave, God, the Father, filled Jesus with new life. A life in some way continuous with his early life, earlier life but at the same time wholly new a life beyond death with a body that was recognizably his own yet fundamentally different when he appeared to his disciples after rising from the dead Jesus had this way of turning up in their midst as if he were stepping through a portal from some other dimension he was different At the same time, though, he ate and he drank and he showed them his scars. It was the same man. Now, I want you to think about what this means. Human bodies are worth having and they're worth keeping. There is something so glorious about being human that the Son of God willingly took on this form for all of eternity. I don't know how you feel about your body, but it's kind of surprising to me. (laughs) There is another implication here, and it is entirely mundane, but it's important. Because Jesus has a body, he actually has to be somewhere. So if Jesus had risen from the dead as an immortal soul or a disembodied spirit, the story would have ended differently, right? He would have faded into the mist, Or disappeared in the blink of an eye. But he didn't because he couldn't because he has a body. The only way for Jesus to leave was for him to actually go somewhere. But where did he go? This is the second thing we learned from the ascension. So one Sunday morning at a small Baptist church, the pastor called the kids up front for a children's sermon. And he began by asking them, who knows where Jesus lives? One child shouted, in heaven. Another sheepishly said, in my heart? And what do you think, Annie? The pastor said to a typically talkative little girl. Well, she replied thoughtfully, I think Jesus lives in my parents' bathroom. The pastor, never having entertained this particular theory made the fatal mistake of asking, why do you think that, Annie? (laughs) To which she replied, well, every morning, my dad bangs on the bathroom door and says, Jesus, are you still in there? (laughs) (laughs) Suffice it to say, Annie's father never took the Lord's name in vain again. So it's a silly story, but it it raises a serious question. Where is Jesus? Four times in verses 10 and 11, Luke tells us that he rose up to heaven. Now in scripture, the heavens, they're not just the stars in the sky. They're the place where God dwells and from which he rules over creation. It's not exactly, it's not clear exactly where heaven is, but it is clear what happens there. In the Jewish imagination, heaven is God's royal residence. So we, we often think of Jesus' ascension as a journey home. Having done his work here on earth, he went home to be with God the Father and perhaps have a little bit of a rest. It's not wrong. It's just not the whole story. Jesus wasn't going home to rest. He was going home to be crowned as king and thereby to continue the work he began here on earth. The Apostle Paul describes Jesus' journey from heaven to earth to heaven in the following way. He writes, Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, we often talk about Jesus as if he were right here with us. We sing about him walking by our side. We imagine him as a friend who meets with us. There's a sense, of course, in which these things are all true. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But there's also a sense in which this is not true. If Jesus ascended into heaven, then that's where he is. And from heaven, he reigns over all the earth. But if that's the case, then how does he exercise his rule? Well, this leads to the next thing that this scene teaches us. Jesus rules over creation by sending his spirit to inhabit his people. It's twice in the opening passage of Acts. Jesus promises to send his disciples his Holy Spirit. In verse 4, we read that he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then in verse 8, Jesus says but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus can't be with each one of us physically because he can only be in one place at a time. He has a body after all. In order to be present to every one of his followers, Jesus had to ascend to heaven so that he could send his spirit. Jesus puts this plainly in in the Gospel of John when he says to to the disciples, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But at whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. When we come to faith in Jesus, he sends his spirit to live within us. We talk with him. We experience the comfort of his presence, and we're transformed by his power. Jesus may live in the heavens, reigning over creation with God the Father, but he's taken up residence within us through his Holy Spirit. And it's by his Holy Spirit that he exercises his rule in us and through us. So look again at verse 6. So when they'd come together, they asked him, "'Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?' He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When they ask about the kingdom, Jesus deflects, not quite yet, he says, but you will experience the power of the kingdom, and you will partake in the work of the kingdom through my indwelling spirit. Jesus is letting them know that even though the kingdom is not yet fully present, it's breaking through all the time as his people live under the power of the spirit. That's where the final lesson comes in. At the ascension, we learn that Jesus will one day return to heal his broken world. So after Jesus departed, two angels appeared to the disciples and told them this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven this same Jesus they say will come back and he's promised that when he does he'll renew the face of the earth restoring to creation the purposes for which it was made here's how Paul puts it in first Corinthians he writes Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Now I take comfort in Christ's present reign and I bow before him with joy. But the hard realities of life, they would almost certainly push me away from him if I didn't believe that one day he will return to heal this broken world and to fully establish his kingdom once and for all. So we've looked looked quite briefly at four things that the Ascension teaches us about Jesus. He still has a body. He reigns in the heavens as king over creation. He's present with his people through the power of his spirit and one day he will return to heal the world. But why should this matter? Why should this matter to us today? The first reason is this, because we have a king who understands us. There's a man in heaven His name is Jesus. He reigns over all creation, over every star and planet, over every single cell and strand of DNA. He's all-powerful. And yet, he reigns with the care and concern of one who has experienced this life in all of its glory and tragedy. That's because he's both human and divine. He knows what it's like to be one of us because he's still one of us. And he rules us with tenderness. that's the kind of king I am willing to follow. Second reason this matters is this. We have a purpose. We have a purpose. Jesus didn't simply leave his disciples to hang out and wait for him to return. The angels were clear. They said, stop staring at the clouds and get to work. You have a mission to take the good news about Jesus to the ends of the earth. So if you're wondering why you're here or what you're good for, here's your answer. You are here to bring the most important message of all time to the people who live next door to you. You're here to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to your neighbors, beginning with those who live next door and then working your way farther and farther out till so you get to the ends of the earth. The risen and ascended Jesus Has entrusted you with the most important job in the world to bring the message of salvation to those who haven't heard it. We're his ambassadors, we're his partners, and we have dignity and we have purpose as a result. The third reason this matters is that we have a guide. Jesus didn't leave us to fend for ourselves. Ten days after leaving them, he sent his Spirit to take up permanent residence within his disciples. Now we'll learn more about the Holy Spirit next week as we celebrate Pentecost. For now, the good news is simply the fact that we're not alone. God is with us, and more than that, he's empowering us through his presence to accomplish the work he's given us to do. Even in his absence, he's present and will never leave us final reason this matters is, is this we have a hope we have a hope so when, when I was a boy the thought of heaven just made me nervous I knew I was supposed to want to go there but honestly it sounded really boring clouds angels classical music these are not the sorts of things that get a boy excited Well, this all changed when I began to understand that in heaven, I wouldn't be some disembodied spirit floating through the ether. I would have a body like Jesus. And it would somehow be recognizably my own, but fundamentally different. It wouldn't be just this injury-prone, slowly deteriorating, middle-aged body but a new body impervious to injury and unconstrained by physical realities just like Jesus' body. Jesus will return. The good work he's begun will be brought to completion. These aging, failing bodies that we all inhabit, they will be utterly transformed and entirely renewed when he raises us from the dead and welcomes us into a new creation. We have a king who understands us. We have a purpose for being here. We have a guide, the Holy Spirit, who leads us. And we have hope for new life in a perfect world. That's what Jesus' ascension teaches us, and it's why it matters today. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a man in heaven that you reign over us as one who understands what it's like to be human. We praise you and thank you that you've given us a purpose for our lives to be bearers of good news to the ends of the earth. We thank you that you haven't left us to do this on our own but that you've given us your Holy Spirit as a guide and comforter. And we thank you. We thank you for the hope we have of eternal life with you in new, risen, glorious bodies. Lord Jesus, may we be people of hope whose eyes are here on earth as we seek to bring the good news of your salvation to everyone around us. We give you thanks and praise in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.